Today on Ag News Daily. You know, we, we tried as much as we possibly could to take all the best of Farm Project Show and Husker Harvest Days and try to put it on a farmer's computer screen or, or tablet or smartphone or, or whatever that, that is. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Friday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Selene Howell joined by Ashton Carr. And Ashton, you just got back from a little mini field trip. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, so I just got back to Lubbock. I traveled to Amherst today, which is about 50 miles outside of town and got to go up there. And I visited with Case Vanderlei, who is with Five Star Dairy and Red Ass Cattle Company. And it was super cool. He drove me around the the very big dairies that they have out there. There's three different locations. And so got to go see all of them, got to go see the milking parlor and their sorting pens. And it was just a really awesome to see. I got to see some baby Holsteins. And so that's always fun and brightened my day. But it was very, very neat. And I'm super excited to share that conversation with you guys later on. That will be fantastic. Looking forward to hearing that conversation, Ashton. But for today, we've got to talk about a little bit of news because we got some yesterday evening that was pretty groundbreaking for farmers impacted by COVID-19. I know you and I both had this piece of news here, Ashton, so please feel free to hop in and add anything I'm missing. But President Trump was at a campaign rally yesterday in Wisconsin and announced to farmers that they would be giving about another $13 billion to the USDA to allocate basically to different farmers impacted by COVID-19 for commodities that weren't eligible from the first round as well as those that were. So they've also included the second round here, wheat and hemp. And... I think the only other thing I, I saw here, Ashton, I know you ha- you have this too, so hop in, but uh, Secretary Purdue also confirmed that this indeed was the case and they are going through with a second round of CFAP payments. Yeah, and I don't know if this is a new addition to CFAP or, or what, but I just have some numbers here in front of me, so I'll go ahead and spit them out. But livestock, poultry, and dairy payments will be based on production history or inventories, including $1.20 per hundred weight for dairy farmers. Other rates include $55 per head for beef cattle, $23 for hogs and pigs, and $27 per head for lambs and sheep, and goat's milk will also be eligible for the program that starts, signups start on Monday, September 21st, and will run through December 11th. Yes, I think that is correct. I think the other thing here to note, which we've probably talked about, but it's always good for a little refresher here, under CFAP 2, the 5% price decline will continue to be one of the three methods used to determine eligibility. And so starting, the time period will extend from April 15th to the end of the year to look at were you impact, impact impacted by COVID-19. And they also said that they're putting together price trigger payments for crops that will be calculated using the greater of the 2020 planted acres multiply, the multiplied by $15 per acre for crops such as barley, corn, cotton, sorghum, soybeans, sunflowers, and wheat. They'll also base it, of course, on your county APH or your APH if you do, in fact, have that. Uh, So I think this would be a good one to have maybe an FFSA or 
USDA folk on Ashton to give us a little update on this because we threw a lot of numbers at, at folks today and you can be a little confusing. But of course, your FSA office is always probably the number one place to start with any questions. Absolutely. And speaking of FSA, I watched a video um, and it was with Richard Fordyce, who, of course, is Farm Service Agency Administrator. And he was really encouraging farmers. The woman who asked the question, this video was on um, SuccessfulFarming or Agriculture.com. And she asked if Richard Fordyce had anything to say to a farmer, what he would say. And it was just very encouraging. And he's just really hoping that farmers continue to stay positive and that we do see the light at the end of the tunnel. So it was very encouraging to watch, especially on this Friday, gave gave me a little bit of hope for producers out there. So if you're looking for a little bit of hope, definitely go check out that video. Oh, I've got a fun fact for you, Ashton. That uh, girl or woman hosting that video is one of my very good friends, Natalie, in a sense. She works for Successful Farming here in Des Moines, but uh, was working on that yesterday when I stopped over at her house and I saw she posted that on Twitter. So good plug for her. Well, awesome. It was a, I'm, I'm sure a very great conversation to be able to have with him, but definitely go check that out and go check out Natalie. Absolutely. And, you know, looking, turning our attention again to the administration, other USDA folks, including USDA Deputy, Deputy Secretary, that's a mouthful, Steve Sensky has announced that he's going to be leaving USDA's wings to head back to his home at the American Soybean Association. He served in that position for about 21 years before coming to USDA and has decided it's time for him to head back to ASA and will begin there starting on November 9th. He'll be going back to the helm of that role again. So hate to see him leave from USDA, but I think he was probably missing his role with the American Soybean Association. So he is moving back there. But let's see, Ashton, what else you got for headlines for today? Well, of course, I've been tracking the African swine fever that has been moving its way through some wild boars in Germany. And the U.S. has finally come out and said something about this African swine fever and what they want to do in effort to not have that come over into the U.S. and in our pork herds. But the numbers are now up to 13. So there's 13 confirmed cases. But again, it's all in wild boars. I haven't seen anything just yet about whether or not it's actually in any pork production herds. But the U.S. pork industry is on heightened alert as those numbers continue to rise. And members of the National Pork Producers Council are urging the U.S. government to make sure customs and border protection is properly funded. NPPC president and Wisconsin pork producer A.V. Roth says ag inspectors are the first line of defense in preventing foreign animal diseases from entering the U.S. And he was quoted as saying, an outbreak of African swine fever or other foreign animal diseases in the U.S. would be a devastating blow to hog farmers already teetering on the edge. And the Customs and Border Protection is funded by agriculture quarantine inspection user fees. And those, along with the Reserve Fund, are set up to dry up at the end of the month. So they are really pushing for some funding to go in there just to make sure that African swine fever, as well as any other animal diseases, aren't coming into the U.S., And as of this week, China, South Korea, and Japan have all halted imports from Germany. So just a little bit of an update for you as well as our listeners. 
Yeah, I think I was reading something earlier today that said there are eight countries now that have halted any sort of pork imports from Germany. Uh, Those eight are not coming to mind at the moment, but we'll continue to monitor that situation and story. Um, you know, U.S. hasn't shut anything off yet, but I don't. We don't get a ton of pork, anyways, from Germany, so shouldn't be too much of a concern, especially with uh, travel shutdown with COVID, anyways. But on other export-related news, Ashton, we saw U.S. and corn groups excited by export numbers that were reported yesterday. As of September 10th, U.S. exporters have already racked up 19.3 million metric tons in sales of U.S. corn and 30 million tons in sales of U.S. soybeans. And of course, you know, we're seeing prices pick up here. First time since 2018, we are seeing plus $10 soybeans. Again, first time in two years. I think I mentioned this on the podcast yesterday, but folks are getting excited finally. And USDA says that we have about 1.7 million tons of soybeans and nearly 210,000 tons of corn that were shipped to foreign buyers. So the thing to note is we're seeing sales being promised, but now we're actually seeing those sales getting shipped out and coming to fruition. So definitely a demand-driven market rally that we've been seeing lately. And speaking of rally, Ashton, what do you say? We uh, take a look at the markets for today. Let's do it, Delaney. Well, a demand-driven rally is what we are definitely seeing, especially when it comes to the soybean buying front. But again, still in corn as well, we're seeing China come to the buying table and step in and buy U.S. corn. In the December corn contract, up three and a quarter cent today to close at 378 and a half. The March up three and a half to close at 387 and a half. In the soybean pits, November put on 15 cents today. Again, another big move, ending the day at 1043 and a half, while the December, while the January, excuse me, put on 16 cents to close at 1047 and a quarter. In the Chicago wheat pits, the December contract put on 18 and three quarters cent to close at 575 flat, while the March put on 18 and three quarters to close at 582 and three quarters. In the livestock pits, the strength continued today as the October live cattle contract put on 57.5 cents at 107.35, the December up 52.5 to close at 111.85. In the feeder cattle pits, the October contract added 97.5 cents today to close at 142.42, the November adding 32.5 cents to close at 142.52. In the lean hog pits, the October contract up just two pennies, excuse me, down just two pennies to close at 66.50. The December losing a dime to close at 63.52 and a half. And rounding out our markets with the class three dairy milk futures, the October contract adding 53 cents today to close at 19.57. November adding 75 cents to close at 18.70. Without further ado, I'd like to kick it off to my conversation I had today with Matt Youngman chatting about this year's virtual Farm Progress and Husker Harvest Days shows. Well, things are wrapping up for the virtual Farm Progress show this year, which is a little different. And to talk about the format of how this year's show went, we are talking today with Matt Youngman, the Farm Progress show event manager. Matt, thanks so much for taking the time to chat today. You bet. Great to be with you. So you are just getting things wrapped up. The show kind of officially ended or the live virtual stuff ended yesterday. Tell us about how this year's show went. Transitioning so quickly. I was very impressed that you guys were able to put this together so last minute. 
yeah, it was it was quite a pivot and and a lot of credit to everybody at Farm Progress that, that touched this. You know, typically when we do our live events, everybody's doing something, but everybody had to do something completely different in order to pull together a, a virtual event. We, you know, we we had all along intended that starting in about March, April, we kind of had this feeling that we were going to have to have some component of a live event that would also be virtual. But then June 29th came along when we finally made the announcement that we wouldn't be able to have the live events at all. And everybody in the company pivoted and we went to work on this, this virtual experience. Um, with it being a merger of our two big live events, rather than do a Husker Harvest Days virtual event and a Farm Progress Show virtual event, we elected to merge the two events together, merge the exhibitor list, merge the field demonstrations and content and, and make it kind of one big virtual experience. So we, we did pivot quickly got that all put together and rolled out, rolled out content Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of this week, ended it yesterday. But you know, the good news is it it stays live until May or June of next year. So let's talk a little bit more about about that virtual content. Did you have any farmers that were ever on the grounds of Farm Progress Show or Husker Harvest Days or was everything virtual? And, you know, what was virtual? I mean, when you go to the events, you talk to a lot of different vendors, you've got machines and equipment and demonstrations. So how did you turn some of those components into virtual components? That's an excellent question. So, um, you know, we, we tried as much as we possibly could to take all the best of Farm Progress Show and Husker Harvest Days and try to put it on a farmer's computer screen or, or tablet or smartphone or, or whatever that, that is. So, you know, the, the way that we looked at it was exhibitors come, or pardon me, farmers come for a number of different reasons. They're there to talk to, you know, exhibiting companies. They're there to learn things. They're there to, to view the field demonstrations. And so we tried to emulate as much of that as we possibly could. So. From one side, we had this big exhibitor database, and, and that's kind of like the exhibit field or the varied industries tent, where you can go and visit a company. And you know, for for some of those companies, it was just a few of their their product brochures and an email address and maybe a video of what they would have unveiled live. And then other companies like a an Agco or a Decal Basgro or Case IH. They had really expansive virtual walkthroughs of what you would have walked through if you would have gone to the show. And so it was kind of every facet of, of that exhibit field. That, that's one side of it. And then the other side of it is the content pieces, the, the, the sessions on mental health or marketing or weather or grain bin safety. You know, We wanted to be able to, to provide that. So that's in there. And then the other big thing that folks think about when they think about Husker Harvest Days or Farm Progress Show are the field demonstrations. So we had all kinds of offers from companies to just provide us content, provide us video of their machine running in the field. Well, that's not what we do at our field demos. We make you bring the piece of equipment and run it there on site. And that's what we did with our field demonstrations. So we went to Grand Island, Nebraska in mid-August and recorded the haying demonstrations and recorded the cattle handling demonstrations. And none of that content is provided by the companies. That's all recorded by us. And they had to bring their machines to Grand Island to be in those demos. And then same at Boone, uh, the first, the 
August 31st and September 1st, we were in Boone picking corn, doing tillage, running planters, doing ride and drives, doing all those kind of things. And for the most part, all of that action was done for the camera so that so that we could get it recorded and unveil it here over these last three days. We did, however, have a small group of farmers, uh, six of them in uh, Grand Island that were cattlemen that were there evaluating the head shoots and evaluating hay tools. And then a different six growers that were corn and soybean guys that were there evaluating in Boone, evaluating the combines, the tillage tools, uh, doing ride and drives, and actually kind of being the eyes and ears and the voice of the farmers. And, and we did that just to sort of prove out the legitimacy of the fact that, yep, all this equipment did come, did run in these conditions, which weren't very good. We had, you know, wet haying demos at, at Husker and the derecho hit Boone pretty hard. So the corn heads were really put to a test. Um, but we did have a few farmers there checking it out. And, and in the virtual experience, if, if you take in the, the wrap up each day, you're going to get the growers comments of what they thought of what they saw. So that as you watch those demos, um, you know, you, you may see some things here and there. And, and, and a lot of that is backed up when we talk to those growers about what they saw in person. And so none of these events were necessarily live or nothing was necessarily live. So how did you gain farmer feedback or what comments have you received from farmers about how this year's virtual event went? Yeah, that's, that's kind of actually the hard thing about this is that, you know, for the past three days, the show has been quote unquote going on. And, you know, I've just been sitting here in front of the screen watching it just like the growers have been and, and getting the feedback has been difficult because, you know, you can, you can kind of tell in the backside who's watching and they're not, not who's watching, but how many are watching and, and, you know, get, get a feedback for the questions that are being asked. And so, and, and then it's kind of up to social media and what folks are commenting on and that kind of thing. So it's been hard to, to pick up that pulse, but every, Everything that we've heard has been positive. We, you know, we, you, when you manage these events, you're kind of just waiting for the next problem to creep up and none of them really have it. It has really, really gone very well. The, the feedback from the exhibitors and the farmers that we've talked to has, has all been really positive. And Matt, before I let you go, how can farmers check out this, these virtual events? Because as you mentioned there, you're going to keep them. I guess, on the website, or you're going to keep them live, so to speak, until you really start promoting next year's Farm Progress and Husker Harvest Days shows. Yep. All the way through May, June next year, you know, when, whenever we start really pushing Husker and Farm Progress 2021, the live events, um, this is going to be available. So, um, you know, the example that I've used is that if you're sitting in line at the elevator and you're, it's November and you're mad at your corn head or you're mad at your grain cart, you can just pull this event up on your phone and watch all those videos of, of those. And, and they have really good product reads by Max Armstrong overlaying the, the demonstrations. So you can watch all the corn heads or watch all the grain carts and kind of use the show like you would have used it in person as the top of the sales funnel to decide, yeah, I really like this and I really don't like that and, and start to start to sort things a little bit that way. So you can access that from farmprogressshow.com or huskerharvestdays.com. And that's going to lead you right down the path, uh, a real quick registration, no charge. And, you know, I, I would, I would advise folks to use it as much as they see fit as they, uh, as they go through their, their next year. 
Matt, one other question that comes to mind here is, I mean, this year's show would definitely be considered, I think, a success by uh, by all means. But next year in 2021, hopefully COVID will be done, ran its course, and we'll be able to have those in-person events again. But do you anticipate that you guys will still keep a virtual component moving forward? That, that's an excellent question. And honestly, that's what I've spent today working on is, okay, we, we've done this and it was it was a great success and everybody did a good job, but how does this look assuming there is some new abnormal, whatever that is, um, how many of these components that we just spent the last three months working really hard on, how many of these components are we going to need to to use? And I think we'll learn that as we go, how many people use it through the winter um, and and know how much traction some of these different things had. And then we'll have a good feel on how many of them we need to continue. I think um, you know, there, there's probably no going all the way back. I think we're probably going to have some virtual components of this going forward, you know, because of the lessons learned in the last three months. Absolutely. Well, Matt Youngman, thank you so much and congrats on the first virtual show. All right. Very good. Thank you, Delaney. Again, a big thank you there to Matt Youngman for joining me today. Sounds like they had a pretty good virtual show and sounds like virtual might be the way of the future for big farm shows like these Ashton. Absolutely. And it's so exciting at the same time as a little sad to see so many things going virtual because, you know, I think myself as along with other folks, they're wanting to actually be there in person, but, you know, under certain circumstances, of course, the COVID-19 pandemic is making everything go virtual, but it's definitely great to see that the industry is so adaptable. Absolutely. It is adaptable. That is for sure, Ashton. Well, folks, you can always come on and see what industries are adapting to the COVID-19 pandemic and more on the Ag News Daily website, where you can listen to past and future episodes at agnewsdaily.com. And be sure to follow us on social media while you're at it at Ag News Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.